You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. How many of you know what this is right here? Anybody know what this is? It's a book. It's actually a phone book. I, I got one of these a couple of weeks ago. There are some faintly yellow pages in here. They still make these. That's what I was amazed at. I had to show my kids, hey, this is a phone book, kind of, because the ones that I grew up with, they were much larger. You had your white pages, and, and that's actually how you looked up people's phone numbers, and, and you could actually find their addresses. And then you had your yellow pages, and so if you wanted to find dry cleaners or a plumber or electrician, that, that's what you used. And they were these huge books that weren't just used to find phone numbers. But I remember my parents actually stacked them up to use them kind of like a booster chair uh, at the kitchen table. I mean, we, we did that. We kind of used them to hold open doors from time to time. I mean, there was multiple uses. In college, there might have been some Christian college students that would make these things called shaving cream bombs where they would actually put shaving cream in an envelope and then they would slide it partially under the door and then they would take these phone books and drop them and that way uh, shaving cream would go all over that room. I don't know any Bible college students that would do that, but I'm just saying it may or may not have taken place. Sometimes when we talk about reading the Old Testament, I, I think some people kind of think it's like a phone book. I mean, maybe it was useful at one point in time, but why would we need that today? I mean, we have Google, we have search engines. I mean, why would you spend time looking through this? And in the Bible, we have the New Testament, and so why do we even spend any time reading the Old Testament. If you're new here, last week we, we've been in a series, or we started a series called Engage the Bible. And as a church, we're, we want to read through the Bible this year. We're, we're challenging you to, to, to get involved in some kind of Bible reading plan. And we believe that it's just so important to read, to meditate on God's Word. And last week, I showed you some statistics uh, that how important it was. We, we talked about if you, if you really wanted to grow spiritually, read God's Word. If you want to move the needle just a little bit, or actually not a little bit, but actually a whole lot, read God's Word at least four times a week. If you really want to start growing spiritually, read God's Word at least four times a week. But then this statistic that's up on screen really got me. The lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the life of non-believers. That is just kind of stuck with me. That is just kind of stuck with me that, that when we don't engage the Bible, our lives don't look any different than non-believers. And so, so many times when, when we're talking about the Bible, I, I gave you many different definitions last week. 
This week, I just want to kind of narrow down on two definitions that we talked about that you're going to be seeing coming up on screen. It says, the Bible is a collection of stories, letters, and poems that help us understand who God is, what God has done, and what God is doing. And then I love this definition from the Bible Project. The Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. That leads us to Jesus. And today, as we look at the Old Testament, again, I would say there's a lot of people that they think, why read the Old Testament? Let me get right to the good stuff. To, to the New Testament. That's the part that talks about Jesus. That's the part that talks about love and compassion and grace. That's the part that seems relevant. But when you come to the Old Testament, there, there's some things that you struggle with. At times it seems boring. There's genealogies there, and, and there's stories that just don't make sense, and then there's all of these laws, and you're thinking, why should I read the Old Testament? I mean, the New Testament is the, is the good stuff. And what I would encourage you to think about is the Old Testament also tells us a lot about God. It helps us understand who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do. And in the midst of the Old Testament, if you you look closely, you'll see patterns of Jesus. You'll see a foreshadowing of Jesus. You'll see prophecies that point to a Messiah. You'll see promises that says, hey, a Messiah is coming. And so I believe, I believe the Old Testament actually adds a lot of value to our life. It actually adds details that we might miss by just reading the New Testament. In fact, Jesus has risen from the dead in Luke chapter 24. He's on his on the road to Emmaus. And, and there's some followers, they just don't understand everything that's taken place. They, they just don't get it. I mean, it just kind of has blown them away, everything that's taken place with the cross and with the resurrection. And they're trying to piece things together. And, and Jesus says this. He says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, this is Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He, he points out, hey, there are, Little verses. There are things that took place in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. And and, and I want you, as you're reading through the Old Testament in your Bible reading plan, I want you to be on the lookout that Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. In, In fact, if you look in Genesis, at the very beginning, Genesis 126, then God said, let us make man in what? Our image after what? Our likeness. Well, who's the R? Who's the R? If you fast forward to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word. We know the Word is Jesus. The the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was right there in the creation story. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. See, Jesus was there at the very beginning. If you take time to look and study God's word. If we fast forward to Genesis chapter 22, there's this crazy story about Abraham and Isaac. And in this story, a lot of times we have a lot of questions about it because God basically 
tests Abraham's faith. And he says, hey, I want you to put your son to death. He says, Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering as one of the, uh, on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And you think, okay, well, when you read through that story, you say, well, that's a nice story. That's an amazing faith, Abraham. I, I don't think I could do that. But, but where's Jesus in this story? Well, if you take time to look, you, you'll see a pattern of Jesus throughout it. We'll, we'll see that, that uh, when in, that, in that sacrifice, that Jesus too was sacrificed, and his sacrifice takes away our sin. Abraham had an only son, and, and God the Father has an only son, Jesus. Well, we see that Isaac carried wood on his back. And we know that Jesus also carried wood. We know that, that on that mountain, in that same area, that Isaac was to be sacrificed. That Jesus was sacrificed for our sins. See, we, we see that there was a lamb that was provided for Isaac, a, a, a substitute. And we're going to find out today that Jesus is the Lamb of God. See, all the way, just there in Genesis, just, just a couple of illustrations, Jesus is with, throughout the Old Testament. If we fast forward a little bit and we look at the book of Exodus, we're going to see a story of redemption in the book of Exodus that also points to Jesus. I love what Christine Houghton says. She says, in no other book is God's pattern for redemption laid out more clearly than in Exodus. We have the Israelites who continuously spurn God's love even though he chose them as his children. We have God who, despite the Israelites grumbling and complaining and disobedience and false worship, is faithful in his steadfast, loving kindness. But the journey of the Israelites out of slavery through the wilderness in pursuit of the promised land is not just the story of the Israelites. It's our story, too. It's a story we can relate to. We're on a journey that has lots of ups and downs. Stories of brokenness and stories of heartache. And times that we're amazed at how God provided. And we have a story of redemption as well. A story of redemption. A story that has Jesus written all over it. As we look at the book of Exodus, I want to take just a few moments to to kind of think about where Jesus might be in this story. But before we jump into Exodus, I, I want to give you some context. I want to set up the story. If you go to the end of Genesis, you're going to see that there was a, a man who got a coat of many colors. Some of you read that in your Bible reading plan today. A man named Joseph. And he wasn't liked by his brothers. He was a dreamer. They eventually sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and, and through a series of trials and tribulations, eventually, though, he becomes second in command. And he ends up 
helping people through a famine. Uh, eventually, these brothers who treated him so badly came and ended up bowing before him, and, and Joseph ends up saving his family. If you fast forward to the book of Exodus, it's about 400 years later. This family named the Israelites, God's people, are still in Egypt. Pharaoh doesn't know about this Joseph guy or doesn't care about this Joseph guy. He doesn't care what he did for the nation earlier. And all he sees is there's a big group of people that's growing and growing and growing, and he makes them slaves. And this deal isn't working, and so then he decrees that all of the boys must be killed at birth. God's people are enslaved, they're threatened, they're killed. They, they, they need to be rescued. And in the midst of all of this, uh, there's a family that says, hey, we don't want to kill our baby boy, and, and they try to hide him. Eventually, they put him in a basket, and they put him down a river. We know that Pharaoh's daughter happens to find him, just happens to find him, raises him in Pharaoh's household. And God uses this man named Moses to bring redemption to God's people, leads them to freedom. We see God's faithfulness throughout the book of Exodus. And now Exodus, it doesn't just give the history, though. It doesn't just give the history of the Israelites. We see patterns. We see little glimpses of Jesus throughout this book. Actually, if you look, at Exodus chapter 13, 12 and 13, you'll see that Jesus is that sacrificial lamb in that final plague, or we see this imagery of this. If you remember the story of how Moses kept on going before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my people go, and, and Pharaoh would say no, and, and there's been already nine plagues to this point in time. There's been gnats and blood and, and darkness and all these plagues, and Pharaoh keeps on saying, no, I'm not going to let the Israelites go. I'm not going to let them out of slavery. And, and finally, we come to this 10th plague, and God tells the people, he says, hey, we're going to have a feast. We're, we're going to have a feast. I want you to prepare a lamb. And, and this lamb is to be without blemish, a, a, a male that's a year old. And I want you to drain the blood of this lamb, and, and I want you to paint, the, take this blood, and I want you to paint it over your doorpost, because this final plague, there's going to be a death angel that comes over and passes over all of those houses that do have the blood. But if you don't have the blood, there will be judgment. All of the firstborn sons, all of the firstborn sons, human or animal, will die if they don't have the blood. You say, well, what's the big deal about blood? Where's Jesus? I just see a lamb here. Where's Jesus at in this text, Ronnie? I mean, I'm a pretty smart guy, but I don't see Jesus exactly in this. Well, when you read 1 Peter chapter 8, and 19, it says, For you know God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. When you see these lambs being sacrificed over and over in temple worship in the Old Testament, 
uh, when you all of a sudden come to the New Testament and you see that Jesus is called the Lamb of God, when he's sacrificed on that cross, when his blood is shed, all of a sudden that becomes a whole lot more alive for us. Go to Exodus chapter 14. Where we're going to see that, see a redeemer. Finally, Pharaoh releases God's people. They're, they're finally able to have some freedom, and man, they, they take off. And then guess what? Pharaoh changed his mind, and he sends soldiers after the people, and, and they look, and they got soldiers here, and they got this big sea here, and they're like, man, I wish you would have killed us while we are slaves. Why, God, did you leave us here? This doesn't seem right, and they're, they're scared, and I mean, it just seems like a no-win situation. And if you look at the text, it's almost comical. God says, get the people moving. Get the people moving. And he did, then he tells Moses, stretch out. Then it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their, on their right hand and on their left. And can you just imagine all of these people walking through this sea? They, they get to the other side, and if you continue to read the story, we know that as the army was there, the waters came back and they were drowned. And God's people are led to freedom. I mean, Moses leads them through this. And you say, well, again, Ronnie, where, where's Jesus at in this text? There's a little small book in the New Testament. It's called Jude. A lot of times you can miss it if you're not looking for it. Scholars tell us it was the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this book. And basically it's standing against some false teachers and, and encouraging Christians not to fall away. Jude 5, it says, so I want to remind you, Though you already know these things, that Jesus, what? First rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Jesus was in the midst of the Old Testament. We, we see this imagery that he's all around. He was there in creation. He's here in the book of Exodus. If we continue going in the book of Exodus, we're going to see that with that. That, that God's people, they, they've, they're now in the wilderness, and they're hungry. In Exodus chapter 16, they're hungry, and, and they want some Big Macs, and they want enchiladas, and they want all of these things. And, and God, God says, hey, I'm going to provide you manna. I'm going to rain down bread each morning for you. And, and they were to go out and, and eat this manna. If you fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus is around a big group of people. There's about 5,000 people. And he's been teaching them. I say 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He's been teaching them, and he looks at this big group, and they're hungry. I mean, maybe he can hear their hunger pains. I don't know, but I mean, it's pretty obvious. And he tells the disciples, hey, go get some food. And the disciples say, hey, there's not an H-E-B close by, and it'd take multiple H-E-Bs to feed these people. 
But they end up finding a little boy. And this little boy, he's got two fish and five loaves of bread. And, and Jesus does this amazing miracle. He multiplies this food. And, and there's so much left over. There's 12 basketfuls left over. And, and the crowd's amazed. And they're like, wow, that's so cool. And, and, and it's the next day. And, and this crowd finds Jesus. And they say, Jesus, um, when would you do some more of those cool miracles? I mean, you know how you made that bread multiply and stuff like that? That, that was pretty cool. You know, Moses, he, he led God's people to having manna. And, and so how do we know that you're really the Messiah? I mean, you did this one cool miracle, but could you do some more stuff for us? And, and this was his response. It says, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father give you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the what? I am the bread of life who comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. See that imagery, that, that manna, and then you go to the New Testament, and this makes a whole lot more sense. It brings a little bit more color to the text when we read the Old Testament. Keep on going in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. The people have been hungry, and God takes care of that. Now they're, they're thirsty. They're out in the wilderness, and they're like, hey, we need something to drink. God tells Moses, Behold, I, stood, I stand before you. They're on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So you see, man, Moses is just there, and all of a sudden water is just coming from this rock, and, and they are able to drink. I said, well, again, I'm not sure where I see Jesus at. Fast forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll also see this reference when the Israelites crossed through the sea. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground, in the cloud and in the sea, and all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. That rock, that rock was Christ. And there's a rabbinical tradition that says that, that they carried that same rock that Moses uh, hit with them on their journey. Other scholars believe that when Moses hit that rock, that that stream, wherever the Israelites went, it just kind of flowed with them. But the imagery is powerful, that, that Christ is in that rock, that he's always with us, that he's there providing for our needs. I could keep on going throughout the Old Testament, and there's several more places in the book of Ex Exodus that we see this foreshadowing. I mean, we could look in the book of Psalms. We could look through several more of the books of the Old Testament. But I believe the Old Testament isn't a phone book. It's not just this outdated thing that's not useful. 
In fact, it brings color to the New Testament. It brings detail. It brings some images there that helps us understand a whole lot more. And so as a church, I just want to encourage you to remember, to remember that the Old Testament teaches us who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing. And ultimately, it leads to pointing us to Jesus. And so I'm going to give you just a few next steps. As you're reading through the Old Testament, I want you to highlight, I want you to highlight in the Old Testament things that point to Jesus. And in the process, just pray, God, help me see Jesus in these texts. Help me see if there's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Point that out to me. Secondly, that I want you to do is I want you to read the Bible in community. I think it's important that we read on our own, but it's also important that we find people to study and read God's Word with. That might be in a Bible study at 9 o'clock. That might be tonight at 5 o'clock. We have an adult class that's studying the book of uh, Ephesians. That might be a life group. That might be looking on your version app and sharing that with someone else and say, hey, I'm going to read that together. It provides accountability. It provides insight. It provides encouragement. And then lastly... I just want you to remember, the Bible, the Bible is so important. It's that unified story that leads us to Jesus.